Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, we're there in Second uh, Timothy chapter number 3. And, of course, on uh, Sunday mornings, we are going through a series on reaching our full potential. And if you remember, we started um, several weeks ago, many weeks ago. This is now our sixth week or the sixth part of uh, this series. And I began in the first week with a sermon entitled Untapped Potential. And then on the second week, we talked about how to reach your own uh, personal full potential. And then the last several weeks have been kind of very specific sermons. Uh, We talked about how to help your husband reach his potential. That was a sermon for the wives and then a sermon for the husbands on how to help your wife reach her potential. Of course, last week was Mother's Day. I preached on the subject of how to reach your potential as a mother. And this morning, we are going to continue in that kind of very specific uh, sense. And this morning, I'm preaching on how to help your children reach their full potential. And of course, it's a very specific sermon, uh, and it's geared towards parents. Uh, The good thing is that we've got a lot of parents around here, and we've got a lot of kids around here. I don't know how many children are in our church, but probably close to 100 kids in in our church, and they're being raised here, and the parents need to know uh, what to do and how, what to do in regards to raising their children to help them reach their full potential. Now, if you're here this morning and you say, I've already raised my kids, uh, then a sermon like this is good for you as well, because maybe you've got some grandchildren that you can invest into, and these are things that you can learn and maybe apply as a grandparent. Or maybe if you're here this morning and you say, I'm a single, I don't even have children, then it's good for you to learn these things before you have children so that you can uh, get a head start. And what I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to give you 12 statements. I've been giving you statements uh, throughout this series. Sometimes it's six, sometimes it's eight. Uh, this morning is probably the, the most uh, I've, I've given in this series, and it's 12 statements. And because it's 12, I'm going to try to move through it fairly quickly, all right? So we'll try to uh, just give you these statements, and I would encourage you to write these down if you'd like to write them down on the back of your course of the week. There's a place for you to write down these statements. But we're going to talk this morning about how to help your children reach their full potential. And if you are taking notes, number one this morning, to help your children reach their full potential, uh, you need to make sure that they get saved early in life. You need to make sure they get saved early in life. You're there in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And I want you to notice verse 15. Of course, we actually were in, not, not this chapter, but we were in 2 Timothy uh, last week on Mother's Day. And here we have the Apostle Paul Speaking to Timothy, of course, a young man, a second-generation Christian. And in verse 15, the Bible says this, and that, this is Paul speaking to Timothy. He says, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. And I want you to notice these words, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And I'm not preaching on the subject of salvation this morning, but here's a verse that proves a point that salvation must come through the Word of God. The Bible says that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And here, Paul is telling Timothy that even from a child that has known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And aren't you thankful that the gospel and salvation is something simple enough that even a child can understand? And here, again, we're being told that even a child can understand the simple plan of salvation. And if you ever find yourself in a church or find yourself under the preaching of someone who is making salvation so complicated that you can barely follow 
it, then know that it's not the true gospel. Because the true gospel is as easy, uh, is easy for even a child to understand. Because even a child uh, understands. In fact, I would say that children are maybe the experts when it comes to receiving gifts. And that's what salvation is. It is a free gift. So when someone tries to pull out a big, uh, a, a, a big uh, show or, or pull out some, some notes regarding salvation and they've got to explain to you that you've got to turn here in your heart and then you've got to do this and you've got to do that and you've got to repent and then you have to speak in tongues. All those things are way too complicated. The truth is that the gospel is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And even a child can understand that. And here we're told that from a child that has known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. So now let me just give some practical thoughts in, in regards to uh, preaching the gospel to children because this is something that we often are asked about and I think it's, it's good uh, for you to understand. You know, when it comes to preaching the gospel to children, uh, we, shouldn't, we, we, we should not leave any aspect of the gospel out. Um, children need to understand that they are a sinner and that there are consequences for their sin, that there is a place called hell. And oftentimes people will, when they try to give the gospel to children, they try to maybe leave the sin part out or the hell part out. But all of those factors are needed. Now, I'm not saying that you need to go into every detail about, you know, rotting flesh and hell or something like that when it comes to preaching the gospel, but you want to make sure that you are consistently presenting every aspect of the gospel. And if you say, well, my child is too young to understand that, then, then they might be too young. Then, they might, they, then they, if they're too young to understand it, then you don't have to worry about getting them saved because they're still in a, an age of innocence. And the Bible teaches that they, if they were to die, that they would go to heaven. But when it comes to preaching the gospel to children, we want to make sure that we are giving them every point that they need. They need to understand. Look, they cannot understand that they need saving if they don't understand that they need to be saved from something. And they cannot understand the Savior if they don't understand that they need someone to save them. So we want to preach the gospel clearly to children. And when it comes to children, especially because I, I find that there's a lot of confusion for children that grow up in church. And let me say this. Don't be afraid to give the gospel to your children as many times as they need it. And don't get frustrated with your children. Give them the gospel. Let them hear it as often as they need to. And, and I would even say it this way. Get them saved, quote unquote, as many times as they need to get saved uh, in, in, in order for, until it sticks. And, and what I would say to parents and what I've often seen, and I, and I think it's a, it's a big mistake, is don't fall into this trap where you're telling your child that they're saved. Where you're telling them like, no, you got saved. Don't you remember? I, I prayed with you. Remember you, we said that prayer? Look, uh, pray if your children aren't saved and you're in that phase, give them the gospel uh, as, as often as possible. Uh, obviously, I, I, it's not something I would do multiple times a day or may, maybe not even every day. Uh, but as many times as they need it, explain it to them. And, then, and if you need to pray with them, pray with them. You say, well, I've already prayed with them several times. Hey, you just keep doing it and eventually it's going to stick and they're going to be telling you, no, I'm saved, mom. No, I'm saved, dad. And they're going to explain to you that it's a free gift and that they didn't earn it. They can't lose it. But until they are articulating that to you, make sure that you're not the parent who's saying, no, no, you got saved. Remember, you were six years old and I got you saved. So let's not talk about this again. No, our job is to make sure that we uh, are giving our children the opportunity to get saved. Because you better believe that there are people that grow up in churches and people assume that they are saved and no one has ever taken the time to actually get them saved. 
So to help your children reach their full potential, you must make sure that they get saved at an early age. Now, go with me, if you would, to the book of Psalms. If you open your Bible just right in the center, you'll more than likely fall in the book of Psalms. And I'd like you to go to Psalm 127. If you can, uh, put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. Psalm 127. And like I said, I'm giving you 12 statements and I'm going to try to go through them a little faster than that first one. I said, number one, to help your children reach their full potential, make sure they get saved early in life. Number two, to help your children reach their full potential, remember that your responsibility is to raise them for the Lord. Psalm 127 and verse 3, the Bible says, Lo, children are in heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is His reward. We need to remember as parents that my children are not mine. They are not my possession. They are a gift from God, and I am expected to raise them for the Lord. You don't have to go back to 2 Timothy. We just saw the verse in, 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 in 2 Timothy 3.15, but it says, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. We need to make sure that we are raising our children, uh, and, and, and the primary aspect of raising our children is for the Lord. Uh, the primary uh, person that you are discipling, and we, we talk a lot about discipleship around here. We've got uh, soul winners, and we teach them to go out soul winning, and we encourage them to follow up on their converts, and you want, I hope that every soul winner will one day have a convert that not only they got saved out on the street, but they came to church, and they got baptized, and, and maybe you participated and helped in discipling them, but let me tell you something, even if you've never had that, if you've got children in the home, those are your primary discipleship students right there. It is your job to make sure that they are raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, is what the book of Ephesians tells us. So make sure that you are raising them for the Lord. And if you remember that, if you remember that they are being raised for the Lord, what I often say to parents is this. Remember that we are not raising children. We are raising adults. Now, they are children, but we are not raising them uh, because they are children. We have them while they are children so that we can raise them uh, to be adults. And you might think, well, what does that mean? And is that just uh, 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 just uh, semantics? Is that just words? But it has to do with the purpose. When you see yourself as simply raising children, then you are only concerned with the needs of a child. You make sure that they are clothed and that they are fed and that they have a place to sleep. And of course, all children need those things. But when you see yourself as your job is that you are raising an adult that is uh, to then live for God, then you will not only make sure that they are clothed and you will not only make sure that they are fed and you not only make sure that they have a, a, a safe uh, place to rest and to sleep, but you'll also train them. Train up a child in the way you'll be concerned with. Is this child being raised in such a way that they'll be ready for adulthood? You'll begin. See, when you be, realize that your job is to raise not children but adults, then you'll start to be concerned about the, how they interact 
socially with other uh, individuals. You'll begin to be concerned about their education and, and are they being well-educated. You'll begin to be concerned about making sure they develop a work ethic. When, when you realize that your job as a parent is not to get an A on did you feed them and did you clothe them and did you give them a bed to, to sleep in because that's what oftentimes many parents see as their job. And what's sad about that is that when you see your job that way, then to me, you know, that's no better than the prison system. If you see success as, you know, a cot to sleep in, a roof over their heads, and three square meals, that's a low bar to set. But when you realize that your job, that you have been given this, giving, uh, you've been given this, these children by the Lord, they belong to God, they are the heritage of the Lord, they are the fruit of the, uh, 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 of, of the womb, is His reward, and we are to raise them for God. Now you begin to be concerned, are these children ready for adulthood? Are we preparing them to be the husband and the wife and, 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 and the adult that can provide, that can be productive, that can uh, serve God? So to help your children reach their full potential, we must remember that your responsibility and my responsibility is to raise them for the Lord. By the way, let me say this. When you realize that your, your responsibility is to raise your children for the Lord, then you might become consistent in having your children uh, in church. And I will say this, when you have kids, your church attendance should be as consistent as possible. Children need structure and they need routine. Obviously, from time to time, they, they are sick or not feeling well, and, and, they, and, and they have to stay home, or uh, one of the parents has to stay home, and we understand that. In fact, not only do we understand it, we encourage it. You know, we don't want to spread sickness, but as much as possible, you need to have your children in church, and you need to be consistent to church. And by the way, you want to train your children to get the most out of the church service. When you have kids, not only should your church attendance be as consistent as possible, but when you have kids, you should train your children to sit still and pay attention in church. Now, obviously, uh, this is all based on their maturity. Obviously, if you've got a, a, a three-month-old, you know, don't sit there and try to train a three-month-old to you know, sit quietly and take notes during the preaching, all right? Um, that's what we've got mother baby rooms for. And, and, and if you've got uh, children that are that uh, age, uh, then, then, then utilize those rooms. But there comes a point in a child's life, and look, children, by the time they're two years old, three years old, four years old, ten years old, uh, they, they should be able to sit quietly for an hour and 15 minutes. And, and, and maybe they're not... And look, we, we're, my, my wife and I, we're not these parents... If you, you got a four-year-old, and they're sitting there quietly, and they're doodling on a piece of paper, hey, that's fine, okay? But, but they should be able to sit quietly, and, 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 and look, I, I say these things, and then people email me, and look, I, I'm not talking about, if your child has a disability, I'm not talking about that, okay? I'm, I'm talking about just a, a healthy, normal two-year-old, three-year-old can now begin to be trained to sit quietly four-year-old, by the time they're four years old, five years old, if they weren't in church, they'd be in a public school system somewhere where they'd be expected to sit quietly uh, in a kindergarten class. So these are things that we need to work at and, um, um, uh, in, in regards to our children. And look, it's something that you need to work on here at church, but it's something you need to work on at home. 
Children need to be taught to sit quietly at home. Mom, by the way, here's a great way to do that. Train your children to sit quietly while you read the Bible to them. Not only is that good for them, that from a child thou has known the Holy Scriptures, but you are training them at home to be ready for church. Now, let me just say a couple of things regarding uh, uh, children and church. I understand, look, this is a family-integrated church. Children and infants always welcome in the service. We don't separate children from their parents for any reason. And I understand that children are going to need to uh, get up from time to time and use the restroom and things like that. But let me just say this. Children should not be allowed to just be constantly getting up multiple times during the church service and being distracting during the service. Now, I am not saying, because this is what will happen. Some kid will wet themselves on our, on our, well, pastor said they can't get up to use the bathroom. I didn't say that. I understand children can need to use the restroom. Allow them to use the restroom. But if, but if, they're, if they're needing to use the restroom 12 times in a one-hour service, either you need to wake up, Mom, or you need to take them to the doctor. But that, that's not normal. And, and the truth is that kids like to play and they like to mess around. So, look, children should be allowed. Children should be allowed to use the restroom um, during the service and adults. And, look, all of that is fine. But when it becomes distracting and excessive that needs to become a part of training they need to use the bathroom uh uh you know train your children to use the restroom before the service begins and if they're needing to use the the restroom multiple times in a service then you may have a a a an issue here in regards to disciplining them and training them let me just say this if children need to use the restroom they need to be taught to use the closest bathroom to them we've got bathrooms all over this auditorium and if you're sitting over here, your kid needs to use the bathroom. They don't need to get up, walk down this way, walk up these steps, walk around me, and go down to use the bathroom over there. That's just ridiculous. Not only do children need to be taught to, to, to use the restroom as few times as possible, but they need to be taught to do it in such a way that is as least distracting as possible. There is a reason why we've designated these wings for um, children with, for families with children. I realize that not everybody uh, knows that, and, and, and sometimes people sit there and, and they're not aware of that or a guest or whatever, but we've done that for a reason because there's an expectation that if you've got a bunch of little ones, there might be a lot of commotion and a lot of getting up and, 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 and getting out and, and going to the mother bedrooms and things. And look, we understand that. I, we don't have a problem with that. I, I, I don't have a problem with that at all. But we do have a problem with it when it starts becoming a thing that it, it's not you're using it as a distraction or you're allowed, allowing it to become a distraction. Be mindful. If you've got small children and they need to get up multiple times during the service, do me a favor. Don't sit next to a first-time guest. Don't sit in front of a first-time guest. Don't, don't sit. I, we've told the ushers, don't sit guests. And now sometimes guests will sit in these sections, and that's fine. We, we, don't, we, we don't mind that. But we, we try to um, make it so that there's as least distraction as possible. We're family integrated. Kids are going to get up. Families are going to get up. You've got a newborn baby or a little baby. You're going to have to get up and go and do different things. We understand that. We're not against that. But what we are saying is let's try to be as, uh, as, as least distracting as possible and be respectful to the rest of the people in the congregation that are trying to uh, hear the sermon and be part of the service. So number one, to help your children reach their full potential, make sure they get saved early in life. Number two, to help your children reach their full potential, remember that your responsibility is to raise them for the Lord. Number three, keep your place there in Psalms if you would. We're going to come back to it and go with me to the New Testament book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter number six, 
Of course, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, and then the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter number 6. Ephesians chapter number 6. And do me a favor, put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. I'd like you to have your place in Psalms and then also in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6. Number 3. To help your children reach their full potential, train them to obey right away with a right attitude. Sounds like something out of a Herb Meyer book, but... Train them to obey right away with a right attitude. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1. Notice what the Bible says. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Children should be taught to obey right away with a right attitude. Keep your place there in Ephesians. We're going to come back to it. Go to Colossians. Colossians chapter number 3. You're there in Ephesians. You're going to go past Philippians into the book of Colossians. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter number 3 and verse number 20. Colossians 3.20. Children, obey your parents in all things. Don't you notice this is emphasized in the Bible. Ephesians 6.1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Colossians 3.20. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. You know what is well-pleasing unto the Lord is an obedient child. A child that has been trained to obey right away with the right attitude. Look, I understand children are children. They're all going to have uh, meltdowns and times when, when, when they're not uh, doing everything they're supposed to do. But by and large, we should be training our children uh, to obey right away with the right attitude. Let me just say this. This is not something you begin when they're 13 years old. This is something you begin when they're 3 years old. And, and you will solve yourself a lot of problem with older disobedient children if you just decide to put the work in when they're two years old and three years old and four years old and, and you fight the battle that needs to be fought to train your children to understand that they are to obey, that there is an expectation that they are to obey right away with a right attitude, for this is right, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. And if you can put the work in when they're two and three and, and four years old, then you will enjoy your seven and eight and nine and 10 and 11 and 12 and 13-year-old kids. Amen. The problem is that you let them do whatever they want when they're uh, these little children, and then you don't understand why uh, they're so rebellious. So train them to obey right away with a right attitude. Keep your place there in Ephesians. We're going to come back to it. Go back to Psalms. If you kept your place in Psalms, go to Psalms, but I'd like you to just turn over to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 22. Now, do me a favor. You can lose your place in Psalms and keep your place in Proverbs. We're going to come back and forth between Ephesians and Proverbs. So I'd like you to be able to get to those Quickly, you should have your place in Ephesians, and I'd like you to keep your place in Proverbs now. I'm giving you reasons uh, how to help your children reach their full potential. I said, number one, make sure they, they are saved early in life. Number two, remember that your responsibility is to raise them for the Lord. Number three, train them to obey right away and with a right attitude. Number four, because some of you are thinking, well, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to get her to stop doing X, Y, and Z. I don't know how to get him to stop doing X, Y, and Z. I don't know how to train them to, to ride away with a ride. I keep, t I keep reading them the Herb Meyer book, but they won't. They just color all over the Herb Meyer book. You know, what, what? I don't, I don't know how to do it. Well, here's how you do it. Number four, to help your children reach their full potential, correct them and discipline them when they do wrong. 
Proverbs 22, verse 15. Now, we could go to a lot of verses on this. I'm not going to spend the time on that. I've, I feel like I've already kind of dealt with it in other sermons. But let me just uh, give you one verse. Proverbs 22, 15. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. There's no such thing as, oh, you just had a child that was, that's perfect. Now, some kids are more easygoing than other kids. We understand that. But here's what the Bible says. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. Children are born sinners, and as a result, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. But the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. You can drive foolishness far from them by the use of the rod of correction. So correct them and discipline them when they do wrong. Make sure your children understand that there are rules, there are expectations, and when they cross those boundaries, you discipline them. Now, you say, why do people not do this? I'll tell you the honest truth, and you'll never admit it, and I'll never admit it, and they'll never admit it, but here's the truth, because it is easier to yell at your children from across the living room than to get your rear end off the couch and, and, and grab the rod and take the child and discipline them in a proper uh, way. That requires more work. In fact, it requires a parent who realizes that their job is to raise their children for the Lord, and they're not raising children, they're raising adults, and because we're raising adults, we better teach this child that when you cross lines and boundaries, there's consequences for those, uh, for those sins. So foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from them. You, cor- you say, how do you train them to obey right away with the right attitude? Here's how you do it. You correct them when they don't obey. You correct them and discipline them when they do wrong. And again, I'm not preaching a sermon on on disciplining children. Obviously, we're not talking about child abuse. There's a proper way to discipline a child. It should always be done in a controlled fashion. It should never be this thing where you're uh, just out of control. If you need to, you, you need if you need to take time to cool down and do whatever you got to do. Obviously, th- those things. If you study the Bible, it's clear that there is a proper way to discipline a child, and and we are not advocating or endorsing any sort of of child abuse. But let me tell you something. It's also child abuse to not discipline your children. Foolishness is bound in the heart of the child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from them. To help your children reach their full potential, correct them and discipline them when they do wrong. And look, when you you meet the 13 and 14 and 15-year-old that's out of control, that that mom and dad are just like, "I, I don't know. They don't say it. You know, I don't say as a pastor, I don't say it because I wasn't there. But I promise you, I promise you, in a, in a moment of honesty, that mother and father of a 13 and 14-year-old that's out of control will know that they had a 3 and 4-year-old that they did not control. So correct them. Discipline them. The Bible says that when you love your children, you correct them, and if you hate them, then you don't correct them. Why would the Bible say that? Because children need correction to become productive adults. Amen. Adults that can be in society, that can produce and provide and, and be productive members of society. So to help your children reach their full potential, you must correct them and discipline them when they do wrong. Keep your place there in Proverbs. Go back to Ephesians if you would. Ephesians chapter 4. I'm giving you 12, 12 
things, 12 statements regarding helping your children reach their full potential. Make sure they get saved early in life. Remember that your responsibility is to raise them for the Lord. Train them to obey right away and with the right attitude. Correct them and discipline them when they do wrong. Number five. Your children's future mate, your son's future daughter, or excuse me, your son's future wife, and, and your daughter's future husband will thank you for this one. To help your children reach their full potential, teach them to ask for and give forgiveness. Amen. Ephesians 4.32, the Bible says, And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. It is your job, mom and dad, to teach your children to say, I'm sorry. And to teach your children to say, I forgive you. You'd be shocked how many married couples uh, never uh, say, I'm sorry. Or, I forgive you. And this happens because they probably were raised in homes where they were never taught to do these things. So, uh, teach your children to say, I'm sorry. Teach them to say, I forgive you. By the way, while you're at it, teach them to say, please and thank you. Teach them to ask for and give forgiveness, and, and your child's future mate will thank you for it. They'll thank you that they've got, that you raised for them a wife, uh, and you raised for them a husband that says he's, I'm sorry when, when he's done wrong, or she says I'm sorry when she's done wrong, and they also say, I forgive you when they've been apologized to. We are to be tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Teach them to ask for and give forgiveness. Number six, go to Colossians chapter three. If there are any Ephesians, you just go past Philippians to Colossians. Colossians chapter number uh, six, excuse me, Colossians chapter number three, point number six, to help your children reach their full potential, teach them to be honest. Colossians 3, nine says, lie not one to another, seeing that they have put off the old man with his deeds. All children are going to lie from time to time. Your job and as a parent, my job as a parent, is to catch them in lies, confront them, and make them admit it. Research has been done that, teach, that shows that people who raise pathological liars and people who raise people that are deceptive is because they did not do a good job at making sure that they catch their children lies, confront them, and make, it, it, make them admit it. But if you want them to reach their full potential, you're going to have to teach them uh, to be honest. Go to Luke chapter number 2. Luke chapter number 2. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke chapter number 2. I'm giving you 12 statements regarding how to help your children reach their full potential. I said, number one, make sure they get saved early in life. Number two, remember that your responsibility is to raise them for the Lord. Number three, train them to obey right away and with the right attitude. Number four, correct them and discipline them when they do wrong. Number five, teach them to ask for and give forgiveness. Number six, teach them to be honest. Catch them in lies. And, and when you catch them in lies, uh, then confront them and, and, and tell them, look, that's a lie. That's not true. And, and, and make them admit it. Do, you'll do them a favor to be able to develop a habit of honesty. Number seven, to help your children reach their full potential, teach them to communicate respectfully with adults and their peers. To help children reach their full potential, teach them to communicate respectfully with adults and their peers. Luke chapter 2, 
In Luke chapter 2, of course, we have the famous story of Jesus. This is just one of the only account in the Bible where we have Jesus as a child. He's 12 years old. And, and the, I don't know why God did this, maybe to make the rest of us feel better as parents, but the only story that we are given of Jesus as a 12-year-old child is a story in which uh, Joseph and Mary lose him for three days. And they're on a trip, and they're going to Jerusalem. They think he's got him, and she thinks he thinks she's got him, and they think that maybe they're with the neighbors or with their other family members as they're on this trip, and they realize that they don't know where Jesus is. After three days, they find him, Luke chapter 2 and verse 46, and the Bible says, and it came to pass that after three days, they found him. This is Jesus as a 12-year-old kid. They found him in the temple, and I want you to notice how they found him. They found him sitting in the midst of the doctors. These are educated men sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. Here the Bible tells us something about the 12-year-old Jesus. The 12-year-old Jesus was able to engage in respectful communication with adults. And, of course, we know that he probably also was able to engage with their peers. This is something that is very important. In fact, this is one of the things that my wife and I love about homeschooling and, and homeschooling uh, culture is that you'll find in a homeschooling culture, and you'll find in a church like ours if you just pay attention, that you often have younger children, older children, even uh, uh, adults being able to engage in conversations. That, that is something that is unique to a, a, a homeschool uh, uh, culture and 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 I, and I realize not everyone in our church, as far as children, is homeschooled. But the vast majority of the kids in our church are homeschooled, and and that's what we have we have produced. You don't see that, you don't see that uh, a lot with children because of the fact that children that are put into a school system are subconsciously taught you only talk to and communicate with kids your age. Only only the kindergartners. You play with the kindergartners. You go to recess with the kindergartners. Only the first graders, only the second graders. Even in high school, it's like, I'm a sophomore, I'm not going to talk to a freshman. That's the culture that's developed by the school system. But you don't find that in, in a homeschool environment. You go to our PE class, you're going to see kids of all ages. Obviously, little, little kids tend to play with kids their age and, and all that. But I'm just saying, like, even, even after the service, you, t today you might see a 13 and 15 and 22-year-old uh, engaging in conversation. And by the way, that's actually more normal if you're trying to raise an adult because when you go to work, when you go to work, you don't sit there and say, well, you know, I'm 28 years old. I'm only going to talk to the other 28-year-olds. I'm only going to work with the 28-year-olds because they're in my grade. You know, in, in the real world, people talk to and communicate and engage with people in different ages and, and, and different maturity levels. So children should be taught to communicate respectfully with adults and with parents. And look, when you find a child that is able to, and I've got, uh, so, some of my kids are like this, I won't call them by name or anything but i've got uh, we've got young children that they they're just these social butterflies and they just are you know sometimes i watch them and they're just having this conversation say this the in-depth conversation with some like 50 year old i'm thinking to myself what is she saying <laughs> you know and and but they're laughing and the other person like you know and whatever and and and, and that's good Amen. but that doesn't just happen 
You train children to be that way. You say, ah, well, here's how you do it. You have conversations with your children. You interact with your children. And by the way, let me just go ahead and, and help you, mom and dad. You, you want to have uh, uh, a future uh, son-in-law or, or daughter-in-law that thanks you. It is your job when your children are in your home to train them and correct them. And look, mom and dad, you just, just learn to say this to your children when it is needed so that their pastor or their pastor's wife doesn't have to say it to them uh, later on in life. But you need to teach your children, hey, that, what you just did, what you just said, how you just, came, that's not normal. That's not normal behavior. I know you don't understand. I, I know you don't get that. But I, my job is to train you to be an adult that can interact with people as an adult. And I'm just telling you, when you say that, when you act that way, when you treat people like that, that's not normal. That's not the way that we're supposed to act. That's not the way we're supposed to speak. You need to train your children uh, to do these things. You need to encourage them to have respectable conversations with adults. And listen to me. Children need to be taught to not get too comfortable with adults. Now, we want them to be respectable and to be able to engage in conversations. But what I mean by that <clears throat> is that they need to be taught that they should not act as though they are equals with adults. Now, and I realize that there is some, there, you're, some of you are offended by even saying that. Children are equal in value, of course, to any adult. But they are not equal in position. They are not equal in rank. They are not equal in maturity. And look, and you say, well, I don't think you say, even me as a pastor, I'm going to communicate maybe different. I, I might communicate maybe a little more casually with a 25 or 26 or 27-year-old in, in, in our church, me being 37, than, than I might with a uh, 57 or 67-year-old in our church. Because when there's, there, there needs to be this social structure that, that, that helps you understand that, look, we honor our elders. So children need to be taught, look, you are valuable. As a human being, no one is more valuable than anyone else. But you're, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't mean that you're an equal in your position or rank or maturity. And by the way, this will help them to be able to know how to speak to their boss at work. Amen. So teach them to communicate respectfully with adults and with their peers. Number eight, go back to Proverbs, if you would. Proverbs chapter number 11. Proverbs chapter number 11. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse number 11, the Bible says this, Proverbs 20, 11, even a child is known by his doings, whether his work be pure or whether it be right. Let that sink in for some of you parents. Even a child is known by his doings. Do you know how children develop reputations? No, no ch child is perfect. All ch foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. All children need to be corrected from time to time. But you know that some children develop a reputation of, oh, that's a very well-behaved child. Amen. That child, that's a respectable, a respectable child. I, I can speak to that child, and, he's, and, they, and they communicate, and they engage, and they look me in the eye, and they speak confidently, but they also speak humbly, and, they, and, and, and I can engage with them. And then other children develop a reputation of being a wild, crazy maniac or just being very bad, or very rude, or, or very rebellious. Please understand something. Even children develop reputations. 
That's what the Bible says, Proverbs 20, 11. Even a child is known by his doings, whether his work be pure or whether it be right. So number eight, to help your children reach their full potential, gradually increase their freedom as they prove their trustworthiness. Gradually increase their freedom as they prove their trustworthiness. How do I know if they're proving their trustworthiness? Well, even a child is known by his doings. And let me say this when it comes to, look, remember, we are raising adults. We're not raising children. So because we are raising adults, we are taking a baby that can do nothing for themselves and that need us to do everything, make every decision, and and care for every need. And over the 18 or 20 or 22 years that you have them in your home, your job is to gradually go from doing everything for them because they cannot do for themselves, and in fact, they would die if someone did not care for them. And the, the goal is to end with doing nothing for them and that when no one does anything for them, they are productive and intelligent and, and, and producers and they can care for themselves. That's the goal. I'm saying by the time you marry them off, by the time they walk down that aisle and they say, I do, we want to go from you could do nothing and you needed everything done to you can do everything that you need to do to care for yourself. Do you understand? Those are the two spectrums. This is where we start. This is the goal. What that means is that from here to here, we are increasing their freedom, their responsibility, their ability to make decisions, to to handle their own money. We are increasing, but we are doing it gradually as they prove their trustworthiness. So let me give, give you a couple of thoughts. Be careful not to give them too much freedom too early. I always think it's funny when parents go from, and there's always two extremes. And by the way, the Christian life is a balanced life. Usually you find yourself just that people tend to be on these two uh, two extremes. And these are the two extremes that I often see parenting. Their kid turns 13 years old, and it's just like, have at it. 15 years old, 16 years old, it's just like, do what you want, go where you want, spy what you want, and just, you, you, you know, no accountability, just go. But then there's also this other extreme where it's like, I'm a fundamental Baptist, and they're like 16, 17, 18, 20 years old, and it's like, I'm controlling you, I'm not letting you go anywhere, I'm not letting you talk to anyone. Look, neither one of those extremes is, is, is healthy. Now, obviously, when they're 2 and 3, and when they're 8 and 7, and when they're 10 and 11, there's going to be varying degrees of how much we control them. There should be a lot more control on this side. But as they move in this direction, we are gradually increasing their freedom as, here's the key, as they prove their trustworthiness. So be careful not to give them too much freedom too early, But also be careful not to give them too much freedom if they have proven themselves not to be trustworthy. When children have proven themselves not to be trustworthy, not to be responsible, when they are doing things they should not do, then you should not just be like, go ahead, just do what you want, go where you want, unsupervised. Look, if if they're not trustworthy, then we need to pull back 
on uh, the freedom. And this is why sometimes it's, 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 it's difficult because my wife and I will get questions like this and people will ask us, you know, my kid's 14 years old, my kid's 15 years old, my kid's 16 years old, my kid's 18 years old, what about this, what about that? And generally speaking, we, we can give advice like that and I'm not against you if you've asked that advice, but oftentimes it comes back to, well, how mature are they? How trustworthy are they? Because there might be some things that I would say, well, this 17-year-old, because of who they are and their responsibility and their trustworthy, I would allow them to do X, Y, and Z. But this 17-year-old, I wouldn't let them out of my sight. Do you understand that? It's based on maturity. It's based on trustworthiness. So gradually increase their freedom as they prove their trustworthiness. By the way, teenager, you might find as you're fighting for your freedom, which is natural. All children, as they grow, are fighting to gain more freedom. Mom and dad, that's natural. Don't let that worry you. It's natural. They're growing up, and they're going to eventually leave you. And they're going to have all that freedom. So we're trying to train them and raise them for the Lord and for that day, for that graduation day, when they go off, and now they have to care for themselves or care for a family. But... What we need to be doing is helping them slowly get there, gradually. And, and teenager, what I would say to you is, as you're fighting for your freedom, you might find that the cleaner you keep your room, the, the, the better you can take care of your chores without being told or reminded, you might find that your parents start giving you more and more freedom. Amen. The more they see that they can trust you and that you're becoming an adult that can care for themselves, they might start saying, sure. But oftentimes what happens is these kids want freedom, and in their freedom, they have all this immature rebellion. So help your children reach their full potential by gradually increasing their freedom as they prove their trustworthiness. Number nine, go to Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31. Look at verse 10. Proverbs 31 is obviously the famous virtuous woman chapter. Proverbs 31 and verse 10 says this, Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. I want you to notice that here in Proverbs 31.10, we are told of a virtuous woman, and we are told of her value. Her price, the price of a virtuous woman, is far above rubies. She's a valuable lady, a valuable woman. So let me say this. Number nine, to help your children reach their full potential, teach them to value women. Teach them to value women. And... You say, well, well, teach, you know, boys and girls. And, and let me apply this point in two different ways. To help your children reach their full potential, teach them to value women. For young men, young men should be taught to respect and protect their mother and sisters. Amen. Young men, your mother and your sisters are someone that you should respect and show respect for and show honor for and uh, protect them. Teenage boys should not be mouthing off to their mom. And, and I often say, when, when, when it's time to get married, look at, if you're, if you're, you're thinking, uh, uh, a young lady's thinking, I'm thinking about marrying that young man. You should consider how that young man treats his mother. Because how he treats his mother is probably how he will treat you. A young man is considering marrying a young lady. You should evaluate how that young lady treats her father. 
Because how she treats her father is how she will treat you. So young men should be taught to respect and protect their mothers and sisters. If they've got sisters and their mother, they should respect them. They should honor them. They should love them. They should care for them. Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies? Young men should be taught to value women, and they should be taught that by being taught to respect and protect their mother and sisters if they have them. But let me say this. Young ladies then, how do you apply help uh, them reach their full potential, teach them to value women? How do you apply that to a young lady? We see how to apply it to a young man. They should be taught to respect and protect their mother and their sister. Letter B, young ladies should be taught to value themselves. Young ladies should be taught to value themselves. You say, why? So that they won't put up with some dirt bag that mistreats them. And look, the Lord has blessed us with six children. I've got two boys and four girls. And, And one of my goals in life as a father is to love all my children, obviously, but to to love my daughters and to care for my daughters and to value my daughters in such a way. I I, I want them to to feel... By the way, you've heard of young ladies having daddy issues? This is often why. When, When a father is not there to value them, then they devalue themselves. But my goal is to love my daughters and care for my daughters and protect my daughters and, and to, and, and to sh- show them how valuable they are to me so that when a young man shows up and mistreats them, they, they don't marry him. They say, I'm not putting up with that bozo. I'm not putting up with that jerk. Oftentimes, and look, and I'm not saying that this is 100% of the case, but oftentimes, Women find themselves in abusive relationships, and I'm not blaming the victim and none of that, but I am saying this, oftentimes it happens because they devalue themselves. And I'm not saying that makes it right on the other end. I'm not saying any of that. Obviously, men should not abuse women, but what I'm saying is that one thing that we can do to help our daughters is to teach them to value themselves because those red flags will be there when they're dating. Those red flags will be there during that way. That, you know, how they treat women, how they perceive women, how they think they're better, and and they they see women as slaves and all. That will show up during the dating phase. But a girl that does not value herself will look past all that and say, yeah, but I got a guy. A young lady who's been taught to value herself says, I don't just want a guy. Hopefully they're saying, I want a guy like my dad. I want a guy that's going to provide for me and protect me and respect me and love me. So young men should be taught to respect and protect, and that can be done uh, during their child-raising uh, time. Uh, they should be taught to respect uh, their mother and protect their mother and their sisters. And young ladies should be taught to value themselves and to not put up with men that mistreat them. Number 10. You go to Luke, if you would, Matthew, Mark, Luke. i got to finish this thing up. i got three more. You go to Luke, I'm just going to read to you from 1 Samuel chapter 3, but here's point number 10. Well, let me read this to you. You go to Luke chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 12 is a story of a man named Eli. He was a priest, and, his, and he had two very bad sons. 1 Samuel 3, 12 says, In that day I will perform against Eli 
all things which I have spoken concerning his house, when I begin, I will also make an end. Verse 13, for I have told, you're going to Luke, but I, I want you to hear this. 1 Samuel 3, 13, for I have told him, this is God speaking about Eli, I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. You know what God expects for fathers to restrain their children? when they are doing wrong. So here's point number 10. To help your children reach their full potential, do not allow them to do things that make you not like them. Do not allow them to do things that make you not like them. Now let me, let me explain this a little bit because I've, I've used this statement several times and with, with, with many people and I feel like it often needs some explaining. And, and I'm, I'm specifically talking about older children. Because younger children, you know, you, you, you like everything they do. That's one of the problems. You know, they, they, they take their diaper off and think it's funny to put poop all over the place. And you're just like, isn't it sweet? No, it's not. <laughs> I mean, it's fine at your house, but don't let them do it here, please. And, and look, I, I'm totally making that up. If that, some of you be like, that happened last week. You were pre-. I, look, I don't. I always have to because I... I, I, I Often what I do in preaching is I, I try to come up with, like, the most extreme example of something. Like, literally, I was just, like, the extreme example. I was preaching uh, uh, about the guys, and I was, uh, I was talking about them arguing with their wives about, like, Oscar Mayer wieners. And then somebody's like, that happened to me. And I'm like, don't admit that. That's, you know, uh, so, look, sometimes I, I use, like, in my mind, like, just the most extreme case. And then people are like, you're talking about me. I'm like, Okay. Do not allow your children to do things that make you not like them. You say, what does that mean? As they get older, because remember, we're giving our children freedom. They're going to do things that you don't like. You understand that? Now, if they're not sinful, if they're not bad, if it's not, if it's not this or that, it's just things you don't like, look, Allow them, especially as they get older, I'm talking about teenagers, to have the freedom to do things even if you don't necessarily like it. As long as it's not bad and it's not sinful, it's not hurting anyone, allow them to do things that you don't like. But with that said, do not allow them to do things that make you not like them. Do you understand the difference? So your kids may be into some certain hobby that's not a bad hobby, not a sinful hobby, it's not something you necessarily like or you're not into, well, don't say, like, you're not allowed to do that a hobby because I don't like it. You got to do my hobby. As they get older, give them freedom to do whatever they want, you know, even, even things that you necessarily don't like as long as they're not sinful. But, you know, when they're doing things that make you not like them, sometimes dad needs to step in and say, I'm not going to allow you to speak to your mother that way, son. Because when you speak to her that way, it's not just something I don't like. It's something that makes me not like you. Do you understand the difference? So restrain your children. Because parents are like, well, I can't stop them from doing. You can stop them from doing things that make you not like them. And by the way, when you stop them from doing things that make you not like them, it'll stop them from doing things that make other people not like them. But 
I don't mean by that nitpick at everything you don't like. In fact, I would say don't nitpick at everything you don't like. Allow them as they get older to do things even if you don't like it. But do not allow them to do things that make you not like them. And I hope you can understand the difference. Luke chapter 15. Here's point number 11. We've been talking about how to help your children reach their full potential. Number one, make sure they get saved early in life. Number two, remember that your responsibility is to raise them for the Lord. Number three, train them to obey right away with the right attitude. Number four, correct them and discipline them when they do wrong. Number five, teach them to ask for, for and give forgiveness. Number six, teach them to be honest. Number seven, teach them to communicate respectfully with adults and peers. Number eight, gradually increase their freedom as they prove their trustworthiness. Number nine, teach them to value women. Number 10, do not allow them to do things that make you not like them. Number 11, I simply say it this way, don't bail, let them fail. To help your children reach their full potential, don't bail, let them fail. In Luke chapter 15, we have the story, the famous story of the prodigal son. And in this story, the Bible says in verse 14, and when he, this is the prodigal son, had spent all, this is referring to all of his inheritance, which, by the way, we're told that the prodigal devoured his father's living with harlots. When he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. I want you to notice that when the prodigal son left, the father did not go running after him. Some of you are enablers, and some of you have been raised by enablers because no one has ever allowed you to fail. The father did not go running after him. Say, what did the father do? He allowed him to go, and he went and spent all that there arose, uh, and there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. The father did not hear, oh, there's a mighty famine in the land. Let me go see if my son has enough food. I'm sure he knew there was a famine in the land, but he did not run after the son. Verse 15, and he went and joined himself to a citizen of the country, the prodigal son of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. This would be humiliating Uh, in a Jewish context, which is where the story is being told. Verse 16, And he would fain have filled his belly with husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. He was alone. By the way, young people, let me say this. When the money runs out, so will the friends. Verse 17, And when he came to himself, when he came to the end of himself, when he came to the end of his rope, when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father, of my father's have uh, bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? Verse 18, I will arise and go to my father and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. What did the father in the story of the prodigal son do? He did not bail, he let him fail. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Don't bail, let them fail. Well, I mean, let me just say it this way. Number one, first of all, literally, I, you know, my kid's in prison. You know, you're going to post bail for them? Okay, but I, I'm just saying, if it were me, I'd let them sit there for a while. But I'm not talking about that literally. I'm, I'm talking about generally through life. Now, look, we're, again, we're, we're talking about different ages here. We're not talking about your three-year-old runs out into the middle of traffic and you're just like, well, don't bail, let them fail, as Pastor said. (laughs) Obviously, younger in life, we control more. But as we get older and older, as they get older and older, sometimes you need to look at a situation and say, I don't think it's going to work out well, but I'm not going to say, I'm going to go let them fail. Don't bail, let them fail. 
Let him come to the end of themselves. When he came to himself and he realized this isn't working. So number 11, to help your children reach their full potential, don't bail, let them fail. Number 12, this is the last one, we're done. Go, go to Ephesians if you would, if you kept your place in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. To help your children reach their full potential, treat them with dignity. And look, this is so, this is so hard, especially for fathers, which is why God highlights this. Ephesians 6 and verse 4, the Bible says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And, and it's so easy for dads to lose their temper. <laughs> Look, I'm telling you, I, I, I'm writing the sermon. I'm, I'm typing point number 12 as I'm yelling at one of my kids about something. You know, it's just that's, that's how it is. And it shouldn't be. But here's what the Bible says. Because this is what often parents will do when they provoke their children to wrath. It's something that fathers have a tendency to do, but it, but it can be both father and mother, honestly. And, and, and it's this, that they, they nitpick at their kids. And everything they don't like about their children, they make sure that they're just picking at it. Remember, do not allow, to, do not allow your children to do things that make you not like them. But that doesn't mean pick at everything you don't like about them. They might be doing something you don't like, as long as it's not sinful and wrong, you just let it, let it go. They're doing something that makes you not like them. But, but when we provoke our children to wrath, when we talk down to them and we're mean to them, when we're disrespectful to them and we're just picking at every little thing, I'm just, I'm just telling you, the Bible says you cannot bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord that way. These statements are put in, a, in context for a reason. Ephesians 6, 4. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. But is, the, is a context. It's here, but instead of, instead of provoking them to wrath, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. What can we take away from that? Here's what we can take. While, you're, while you are provoking them to wrath, you cannot be bringing them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And while you're bringing them up in the nurture Nurture is a word that deals with gentleness and admonition, the corrections. We're not saying nurture and don't correct. Admonish means to correct, but it's to be done in a nurturing way. When we nurture and admonish them in the Lord, then we are not going to provoke them to wrath. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Last verse we'll look at. Colossians 3 verse 21. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Father, uh, fathers, Colossians 3.21, it's, it's emphasized for fathers because fathers are the ones that probably struggle with it the most. Colossians 3.21, fathers, provoke not your children to anger. Same thing as it said in Ephesians 6.4, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger. Notice it, lest they be discouraged. So we all need to take this lesson, especially us fathers, to help our children reach their full potential, we must treat them with dignity. It, it's easy. You have these kids. You've had them their whole lives. You change their diapers. You, you've done all these things. So it's easy to just see them and speak to them in, in, in a way that you would never speak to, to just a stranger out on the street. But we have to remember that we're not raising children. You're not giving those kids to have them in your home as children for the rest of your life. That's not what you were given. You were given those children to train them 
for the few years you have them in the home to be adults. And to do that, we must treat them with dignity. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I pray that these 12 statements were a help in some way to parents or future parents. And, and, and Lord, I, I realize that I've failed in, in, in all of these. But I do pray that you would help my wife and I to be able to raise our children, to reach their full potential. And I pray that you would help the parents here today to learn what they need to learn and apply what they need to apply and to help reach their children with their full potential, to their full potential as well. We love you in the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. We're going to have the match.